This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning and welcome to Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. Now, we're just a couple of weeks away from a brand new year. And as we wind down and reflect on the year that was 2022, we here on Resource Centre are taking a look back at the year that was and some of the interesting things that have shaped the way we work and do business. And on this episode of our Year in Review special, we're discussing human capital trends in ASEAN. And we're going to be looking at how we coped with flexible work arrangements, uh, the great resignation, mental health issues, cost of living, minimum wage, uh, as well as what HR leaders should be focusing on for 2023. And we're going to be talking about all this with Lee Yun Han, Consulting Director of Deloitte Southeast Asia. Yun Han, welcome back. Uh, always a pleasure to have you. Yes. Uh, hi, Audrey. Always a pleasure to be back. Thank you for having me on. Okay, so 2022, um, it's been an eventful uh, and tumultuous year, you know, you know, coming out of the height of the pandemic, everyone going back into work, businesses and workforce um, and the workforce transitioning back into what we perceived as uh, going back to normal. Um, what would you say have been some of the key highlights around human capital uh, in Malaysia? You know, just looking back at the year that's been 2022. Yeah, looking back at 2022, when we look at many of the headlines, the reading the papers and what's being published, right? A lot of it, especially at the start of the year coming out of the pandemic, has been focused on return to work, right? And the whole debate around what are the right types of measures, you know, policies, what workers will run, want around uh, coming back to work, right? So while over half of the knowledge workers population in Malaysia, about you know, 55% of them have more or less returned to office full-time, uh, about 43% of those working from the office say it's only because their companies made it compulsory, right? It's not <laughs> that they wanted to go back. They, they themselves say that, yeah, you know, the bosses said so, management said so, so I have to, uh, to go back, right? Uh, and I guess the business leaders are so see resistance to this, right? Because you know people are still leaving, right? Uh, and they're looking for uh, no more flexible working arrangements. So in support of this, uh, we see that about sixty-two percent of business leaders in Malaysia they're looking at kind of redesigning their office space for hybrid work, right? Partially mm. working from home, working in office or working elsewhere, right? And as part of the changes that came into the Employment Act recently, which I think came into effect. Uh, sometime in September uh, this year. And the government also announced that employees can now apply for flexible working arrangements. Right? And I think this is a good development uh, that uh, you know, many, many workers have been asking for for years. right? Um, and a large proportion of Malaysian employees, like 86% of them, say that the ability to work from anywhere uh, has made them happier at work. Mm. right? Um, so, so I think uh, flexible working arrangements are, are, are one of the key things. And there's been some talk about bringing you know, the, the four-day work week to Malaysia. I don't think that's uh, going to happen anytime oh, soon. Uh, okay. and, and JPA is still conducting studies on this, right? But that, that is, as of what we see in 2022, it's still talk at this moment, right? So return to work, you know, the flexible working arrangements uh, is, is one of the, the key highlights that's coming in, in 2022. Now, uh, one more thing that, that uh, sort of uh, you know, came into play, uh, which I think is also a positive development, is that the topic of well-being and mental health right, is uh, increasingly becoming a priority at the workplace. Right? Uh, I, and I don't think that we are necessarily good at that. 
But compared to before the pandemic, you rarely hear um, the workforce or employers you know, talking about you know, well-being and mental health in a serious way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, right now, after the, the pandemic, about 58% of Malaysian employees state that they do suffer from some degree of burnout, right? And about 51%, the majority, stating that they have an average or even poor uh, work-life balance, right? And it's quite obvious, especially among the, the Gen Zs right, in Malaysia, the younger workforce, where a lot of them state that they have to, have to change jobs in order to protect uh, their work, their well-being as well as work-life balance uh, that they go through. Right? So more and more employees are striving to seek for mental health support. Uh, and I believe that you know, employees are trying to step up. I think we're still a, a way to go. Right? So that discourse around uh, mental health and well-being is, is a positive development that we've seen in in 2022, right? Um, Yunhan, can I just ask, uh, is there like a bare minimum that employers have started to introduce when it comes to mental health support in the workplace? I believe that the bare minimum is around education, right? Um, So helping the employers or the managers and employees recognise what does it mean uh, or how do they see that uh, they are facing mental health challenges and issues, right? Uh, eliminating the stigma from discussing uh, mental health stresses at the workplace from being seen as weak or disrespectful, right? Or, or having some sort of hidden agenda, uh, having that awareness and education across the, the workforce and also the organizations would be, to me, the minimum, right? Um, mm. it, it's part of getting the conversations going. Uh, and I think as you know, health professionals start to step in, as we start to mature, then we'll see more and more avenues where people can seek help. Uh, and how do we enable them to seek help in the right places as well? Right. Okay, Yunhan, you were uh, going down that list of uh, trends that we've seen this year and I interrupted you, so please continue. Yeah, I think one more trend that that we've seen a lot of conversation on this year is uh, efforts by the government to increase the the minimum wage, right? Which I also believe is a step in the right direction. We saw the national monthly minimum wage increased from, I think, 1,200 to 1,500 mm-hmm. in the peninsula here. And as usual, you know, employers are pushing back on the cost burden, you know, saying it's it's not the right time when businesses are struggling with the after effects of the pandemic. Well, then again, there will never be a good time for cost increases from a business perspective anyway, right? Um, <laughs> on the other hand, right, employees are saying that the minimum wage of 1,500 ringgit is still not a living wage, right? Well, then again, we can never pay, be paid enough now, right? Uh, mm. you know, can we? So, you know, unfortunately, I, I believe that the conversation has not quite shifted towards, so how are we moving Malaysians towards higher value jobs, right? So it, it's still around, uh, when are we getting our foreign workers back, right? Uh, as opposed to, for Malaysians, how do we move towards uh, more digitally skilled workforces? How do you move towards more service-oriented roles that pay higher, for example? So so that's where, you know, I believe we kind of missed a bit of the mark on the conversation in 2022. Uh, so in summary, I believe that we've been talking about fairly, what I would call tactical uh, trends on human capital in 2022, you know, what to do in response to, to something, right? And so while that is understandable given the situation that we're in, for 2023 moving forward, I believe we must adopt a more strategic approach towards our nation's human capital so that we can sustain our growth and competitiveness in, in the region. 
Mm. Now, Yunhan, you, you, since you were you brought up minimum wage, and I'm just thinking about what it feels like to be um, the new generation coming into the workforce um, for the millennials. Uh, well, well, the the the, the end um, generation of the millennials and um, for Gen Z is coming into the workforce. How do they feel about? Um, the wage they're receiving and um, cost of living. I know that Deloitte recently did uh, a report on this, right? And I'm just wondering if you could share some insights into how the younger generation feel about coming into the workforce, how much they get paid and and the cost of living at large, uh, in essence. In essence, they, they are really feeling the pinch, right? Uh, the, especially for the Gen Zs just coming in, you know, they, their starting wage could be, you know, 2,000 ringgit, 3,000 ringgit, for example. Uh, and, and this is, you know, compared to, you know, 20 years ago when the starting wage was around, you know, 2008, 2002, mm. it's not progressed to the extent that the cost of living has also moved ahead, right? So we're seeing that Gen Zs are quite dissatisfied uh, with the state uh, of what they're earning versus what they're able to purchase today, uh, more and more of them are finding it increasingly difficult to say, you know, uh, how can I afford a car, right? Uh, you know, mm. uh, in Malaysia, how can I, not even how do I afford to uh, buy a place and also, you know, raise a family, right? Not even getting there, but just coming out to work. Many of them would still find that, you know, I've got to you know, rent a place or live with my parents, take public transport, so and so forth. And they are struggling to live. And, and a lot of them live paycheck to paycheck, right, um, mm. at this point in time. So uh, for them, they are also thinking of, you know, what jobs would then get me up higher, right? So for employers, we keep complaining about uh, lack of loyalty. People don't stay in jobs. But you think about what they need in order to sustain themselves. I don't blame them, right? Uh, they, they need to strive to gain the right skills quickly, in order to then earn enough to support the standard of living that they deserve and they require, right? So it is going to be quite challenging for them. Uh, and now coming out into, you know, 20, end of 2022, going to 2023, uh, we see, you know, uh, even the, the, the interest rates uh, being uh, going up and the Bank Negara just hiked up the OPR, I think, you know, three or four times consecutively in a short time, right? So getting loans is then difficult now, right? Yeah. So it doesn't bode very well for those just graduating now and coming out to the workforce. And I think it's, you know, we do need to look into this demographic quite seriously on how do we uh, help and support them uh, coming out to the workforce in this uh, day and age. Right. Uh, thanks for that, Yunhan. Uh, we are going to take a quick break for some messages. But when we come back, we discuss how other countries in the ASEAN region have taken a, a strategic approach to human capital. All that and more happening on our Year in Review special on human capital trends with Lee Yunhan from Deloitte. Stay tuned to Risa Centre, BFM 89.9. Because friends matter. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You are listening to Resource Centre. My name is Audrey Raj. Joining me today, I have Lee Yunhan, Consulting Director of Deloitte Southeast Asia. And we are discussing human capital trends in uh, Southeast Asia uh, as part of our Year in Review special. Now, Yunhan, uh, before the break, I teased how you know we discussed how other countries... Um, in Southeast Asia uh, are, have taken, well, a more strategic approach to human capital. Um, so, in your opinion, what's going on here? Have, have we, you know, in Malaysia, have we missed the boat, so to speak? And, and what are they doing and how can we catch up? 
So I can give you probably a couple of examples on, on how you know, countries within Southeast Asia have taken you know, quite bold and strategic steps to address their human capital challenges, right? And, and let's just take Indonesia, you know, for instance, uh, at this point in time. Now, the country, uh, Indonesia, their, their official development plan, what we call the Indonesia 2045 Vision, they aim to increase the share of their industry GDP you know, from 22.5% in 2016 to about 32% in, in 2045, right? So it's a big, a bold step uh, of growth that they, they are envisioning, right? And part of the effort involves very much concentrated efforts to consolidate and to transform their state-owned enterprises to become truly globally competitive, right? So they've taken the quite a more strategic view and approach to find how do they build purpose-fit leaders across all of their state-owned enterprises, and they've got many of them, right? And this is facilitated at the government level, even at the Ministry of what they call the Ministry of State-Owned Enterprise, or KBUMN for short. So they've adopted quite progressive criteria to look at uh, sustainability of their leadership talent across the board, right? So, for example, uh, they looked at you know at least ten percent of the talent pool of leaders should be women, right? At the very least, right? Um, and even the diversity of age of talent of leaders, they're also looking at attracting and retaining a younger uh, pools of leaders into into their leadership talent pool. So, about you know minimum of five percent of their talent pool must be below the age of 40, right? Mm. Uh, so they are really positioning themselves as taking a holistic view around leadership talent, right? To equip their state-owned enterprises, which, by the way, right, uh, generate uh, a bulk of the GDP in Indonesia and employ you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people within Indonesia uh, to then move the whole nation forward, right? Uh, so that's on the, the state-owned enterprise and the leadership front of it, right? Um, now, on top of that, uh, they've also taken steps to identify the types of talent that they want to attract into Indonesia. You may have seen the, in the many publicized articles that they are you know, working very, very hard on positioning themselves to attract digital talent. And they're still working on the idea of the long-term digital nomad visa to attract such talent to set up uh, in Bali, for example, or to even work remotely in, in Bali, right? So mm. there's still progressively uh, you know, policies put into place on how people can apply for this. And announcements are still trickling on, but there's a very strong intent uh, to make that the reality very soon. Right? So that's the kind of Indonesia story, not having to look, look so far out, you see. Right. Do you have any other uh, examples of us? Aren't, aren't we going to talk about our neighbours? Sure. Next door. Sure. So, so just <laughs> next door across the, the causeway, right, uh, in Singapore, they have started the effort around reskilling and building skills quite some time ago. Right? And it actually mm. started nearly 10 years ago in 2014 to essentially retrain the entire population of Singapore via what they call their skills future program, right? So a lot of this, uh, their efforts and the results from it is actually in public domain. They publish the whole uh, list of programs, the whole list of skills for the future and the efforts around that uh, for any nation, any corporate in the world to, to use, right? Uh, not just for the benefit of, of Singapore. Mm -hmm. Now, this reskilling movement has essentially entered its second phase, right? And instead of you know, stopping or reducing investment on skills during the pandemic, 
Singapore actually shifted into really high gear, right? Uh, to to shift uh, the the reskilling program uh, even faster. Right? So some of the programs they introduced, right? So Singaporeans uh, above the age of twenty five, they are able to claim five hundred uh, Singapore dollars credit towards certain training programs, and there are many many subsidized uh, courses uh, for citizens. And the courses that they design uh, are very much in tune with what they believe the industries globally would require in, in terms of technology, in terms of uh, human skills, in terms of digital and so on and so forth, right? Um, so they've also put into place uh, this program called the Skills Future Career Transition Program, right? And this essentially supports mid-career people, individuals that are acquiring industry-relevant skills to improve employability, right? Because what we see during the pandemic, many people at mid-career were laid off, right? Were retrenched, um, and MSS, ESS, VSS, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then they had to move into new roles of which they were not necessarily equipped for, right? So mm. this career transition program, I think, beyond the pandemic will also still be relevant as people start shifting to different sectors and it's also available for people you know, on a full-time or part-time sort of format across several months, right? So these are the things that we start seeing in, in especially Singapore where they're heavily investing in uh, the reskilling, upskilling aspect of the citizenry as well as workers there, right? So so that's what we're seeing in, in across the border in the causeway, right? Ah, another reason to be envious of our neighbours. Okay, so um, like I mentioned earlier, have we missed the boat, Yunhan? Um, is there anything that Malaysia can do to kind of speed up or accelerate the process, the, get the machinery moving? Yeah, well, honestly, I don't see that it's too late to do anything, right? I, I don't think it's ever too late, but we do need to, to start uh, quickly, start somewhere. Uh, and when we do start, we need to essentially double our efforts to enhance you know, our nation's competitiveness in the region. Right? So there's essentially no time to waste. Uh, I know that you know, the, by the time this uh, airs, we would likely have a new government, right? And the message also to the, the new government is that we do need to really look at uh, the Malaysian diaspora, the workforce that we have here. We've got a lot of good talent uh, locally in the nation that I believe it's high time that we look in the right places to invest, right? And to move our nation forward as far as competitiveness is concerned, right? So uh, in 2023, right, if I think about what are some of the, the, the headlines that I hope to see, right, mm. um, going into 2023, uh, there are a lot of headwinds coming in 2023. Uh, we've seen, you know, central banks you know, around the world raising interest rates as, in an effort to curb inflation and talks about incoming recession, whether, you know, in Malaysia or globally, are starting to, to come up, right, to go into 2023. In essence, organisations and the workforce do need to be quite prepared for these fast-paced changes, right, um, in order to remain competitive and to thrive in 2023, right? So instead of seeing the, you know, the usual headlines of, you know, business access downsized half the workforce, layoffs, right, uh, uh, severance packages and so on and so forth, I would much rather see businesses and organizations taking an effort to build and invest in ecosystems and partnerships smartly to allow their businesses to weather the storm, right? Because for businesses that are so large, right, they've gotten quite comfortable with their hierarchies, their bureaucracy, their large headcount, right? Um, and, and this is the opportunity whereby there's a lot of potential in organizations that go wasted. Right? So instead of just simply cutting it off, right, uh, and therefore these workforces would be left with no job, no income, there are ways in which you can look at 
partnering across their supply chain, their ecosystem, uh, to then redeploy the skills that these people have to either start up their own businesses, be a partner in their own supply chain and, and move ahead to continue to deliver value uh, to Malaysia and to their respective communities, right? So essentially, for organizations to start thinking in a more nimble fashion, mm. right? So how can they be, be flatter than they are? How can they make individuals more accountable for results, for outcomes? And how do they gain the ability to respond to change more positively, right? In a way that it becomes embedded in their own DNA, right? So, so that's one of the things that uh, we should see more of, uh, more headlines, more case studies, more stories of Malaysian companies taking these kind of bold steps to restructure in a more nimble and adaptable way. Right. Um, so, so that's one thing that, that I, I would hope to see. Um, the, the, the second one, I think it's when earlier we talked about you know, Indonesia as well as Singapore. Uh, the, the key is that we have to constantly invest in the skills of our people. Despite the headwinds, we always see that the first to be, you know, uh, budget to be cut is on training, right? And I think that is essentially the absolute wrong thing to do, especially in difficult times, right? Mm. So investing in skills uh, that for that are relevant for the future needs to be you know, front and center of the CEO's agenda, of the CHRO's agenda in 2023, and even the government's agenda as well. How are they looking at uh, deploying budgets, investments, right, into our people. We hear a lot about investments into infrastructure, into uh, higher education, which is great. What about corporate and, and executive education as well, right? How do we then incentivize uh, investments to go towards that direction for the benefit of our long-term future, right? So, for example, you know, digital transformation has been you know, at the forefront of many uh, of our C-level executives, right? Uh, and this has also been further prioritized by results of the pandemic, as we would see, right? And the government has also introduced the Malaysia Digital Economy Blueprint, or My Digital, and the aspiration there, which I think is great, right? To transform our country into a high-income nation that focuses on digitalization and serving as a regional pioneer in the digital economy, right? And we do need more and more uh, private-public partnerships and programs to upskill Malaysians in both the public and the private sector. And this does need to be accelerated fairly quickly going to 2023, right? So uh, I talked about investments in corporate education instead of just going or sending people for training, right? As, as usual, they, they kind of outsource this. Uh, the more impactful way to get the most dollars out of your investment of people into learning and development involves designing strategic and impactful learning programs and embedding this into the organization such that you get into a state of continuous learning mm. and that's our culture, right? So this is where I think the government as well as the corporates play an important role in refocusing the investments into this really, really critical area. Right. Now, Yunhan, before I let you go, um, is there anything else that you think uh, businesses, um, HR leaders, um, employers in general, you know, need to focus on in 2023? Anything else? Yes. So last but, but not least, right, uh, we do need to look at building the capabilities of our corporate leaders in Malaysia to be regionally and globally competitive. So, and this applies to leaders at all levels where they'll need specific skills and capabilities to bring their own organization's plans to, to fruition. Right? So in the research that Deloitte has done, uh, we found that 
a lot of the mature organizations, they ensure that their leadership programs develop and support the skills to realize their business strategy. However, what we found is that only about 13% of organizations ensure their leadership development initiatives are aligned with their goals, right? Mm. Uh, while that percentage is much higher among mature organizations, it's about 56%, right? So if you're an organization, you do need to look at what are you spending on when it comes to leadership development and what return are you getting for that? Because it doesn't make sense to uh, send your leaders for training that are that's cheap and of no value yeah. versus reducing that and you're know, focusing on the biggest bang for your buck, right? We already know that Indonesia is taking strategic steps to address their corporate leaders' capabilities, right? So if if Malaysia doesn't act now, we'll likely be complaining about brain drain of mm. our top talent, you know, to Indonesia in addition to Singapore as well, right? Uh, right. So we do have so many uh, of our you know, collective uh, Malaysian government-linked companies that you know, generate so much of our GDP and they employ so much of our workforce. And I believe that working with many of these corporate leaders, we have a large pool of untapped talent with leadership potential that I think with the right interventions can really propel our Malaysian homegrown enterprises towards much greater heights in the region, if not globally. For more information on all that you've discussed, especially that report on the millennial and uh, Gen Zs coming into the workforce, is there a place where uh, we can go find that report? Oh yes, of course. Uh, the report results are published on the Deloitte website as well. You just need to search for the millennial and Gen Z survey from Deloitte right? uh, and you get a lot of interesting insights globally and, and in the region of what uh, the millennials and Gen Zs are thinking about, right? Because that's going to form the bulk of the workforce, right? If not already, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's good to uh, be ahead right, of the trends and, and cater to their needs in order to get the best talent. Thank you, Yunhan, for taking the time to speak with us. Most welcome. I've been speaking with Lee Yunhan, Consulting Director of Deloitte Southeast Asia. Now, for more of our Year in Review special on topics like digital transformation and the creative economy, join us again same time next week on Resource Centre. Till then, this is Audrey Raj signing off for Enterprise BFM 89.9. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.